it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We are going to be welcoming in Scott Mann shortly. You know, the uh, retired lieutenant colonel conducted and coordinated Task Force Pineapple, author of the book Operation Pineapple Express, the incredible story of a group of Americans who undertook the last mission and honored a promise in Afghanistan. A promise that the, was not honored by President Biden and the lack of honor in his description about what went wrong there was re- and what went right that was released on Thursday. We're going to go over all that. Then Will Kane at the bottom of the hour. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There has been intimidation applied and there's a threat to board vessels in the Taiwan Straits under a quote-unquote law enforcement exercise. As I said yesterday, it would be a, a serious mistake. China seeds of the uh, House delegation in Taiwan and a visit by their president to New York and California. And now they responded, a show of force and a show of confusion, kind of, which is net. What is next between the superpowers? Number two. The reason why these people, these Republicans, cannot take winning for an answer yes. is because they hate us. Hatred of black folks. Oh, what is wrong with that channel? Ellie Mistel. What, was that on MSNBC? Yeah, MSNBC. What's the big deal? That the Dems are saying about the lawmakers led insurrection into their state capital. Same party that can't talk enough about January 6th. But as usual, the expulsion of two black lawmakers because of the disgraceful behavior that led to the cries of racism. Yes, even the president weighed in and, oh, yeah, this was all based on a Christian school killing of six, a place he has not even been to visit. Number one. And so for all this talk of chaos... I just didn't see it. Not from my perch. At one point during the evacuation, there was an aircraft taking off full of people, Americans and Afghans alike, every 48 minutes. It was tough in the first few hours. You would expect it to be. I'm I'm flabbergasted. John Kirby. Biden team decides they are not to blame for the worst debacle in American military history, despite being in charge for over a year and making the decision leading up to the chosen end of a 20-year war. Their conclusion, Trump's fault, as usual, will explain why that will not stand. Now, do I think the Doha conference was a great move? That's when the, the Taliban sat down with us and we negotiated some type of settlement. Well, nothing could have came of it. We should have had the Afghan government there. For whatever reason, we didn't. Did I love the fact that we did let go of prisoners during the Trump administration uh, from Bagram? No. But do I think those were the deciding factors in the worst military operation in our history? No. And I'm astounded that they do. And I'm going to play some of those cuts, but I want to welcome in Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann because he was just one of the people. Oh, I'm sorry. We're going to welcome in in 10 minutes. When Colonel Scott Mann comes in, he was one of the people retired that realized we left Americans and allies behind and quickly scrambled his men and women together to get a location where they could begin to extradite all of them because our American military left them behind. You remember the scenes of Afghans trying to catch up to these huge jets, some of them jumping onto the 
uh, wheels and then dying, falling out of the sky. But it wasn't chaotic. It was okay. What's the big deal? Listen to this. Listen to John Kirby try to rewrite history. Cut three. And so for all this talk of chaos, I just didn't see it. Not from my perch. At one point during the evacuation, there was an aircraft taking off full of people, Americans and Afghans alike, every 48 minutes. And not one single mission was missed. So I'm sorry. I just won't buy the whole argument of chaos. It was tough in the first few hours. You would expect it to be. There was nobody at the airport, certainly no Americans. It took time to get in there. They gradually were taking the country away. They were creeping up. Gahani disappears. They say the CIA and the commanding generals never said that the 800,000-man uh, security force would not stand. But it turns out they all said they would not stand, from McKenzie to Austin to Milley. But they stuck by him. They saw this whole thing play out. We pulled out all the troops, even though we had 7,000 NATO troops, 2,500 American troops, more than enough to hold Bagram, Kandahar, and have an eyeglass on China, Russia, Pakistan, and Iran. But no, he decides to leave and humiliate the country and then blame Trump. Blame Trump. Is this unbelievable? Here is more from John Kirby talking about this. Uh, Cut four. When President Trump took office... Uh, there was more than 10,000 uh, American troops in Afghanistan. He took it down to 2,500. Um, he uh, negotiated the release of 5,000 Taliban prisoners uh, that were being held by the Ghani government uh, uh, without consultation with the Ghani government. He negotiated the Doha agreement with the Taliban without the Ghani, Ghani government uh, in the room. Uh, so it was a, a general sense of degradation uh, and, the, and neglect there uh, that that the president inherited. Nobody thought we were leaving until April. He already had pushed the date back from May to September. He wanted to do this September 11th so he could say, look what I've done. I ended the war and Obama didn't and Bush didn't. And of course, Donald Trump didn't. Instead, he ignored everybody, said he was the smartest guy in the room with the most experience pulled everybody out, and then wondered why chaos ensued and, and 13 died, a couple of dozen wounded, and 170 Afghans were blown to smithereens. We also found out that uh, one of our sharpshooters had these guys in their crosshairs, had the bomber in the crosshairs, but couldn't get permission to pull the trigger. That's not chaotic. Here's Mike Pompeo on what it is like to get the blame. Cut six. We didn't constrain them at all. The Biden administration has demonstrated their willingness to break up good plans that the Trump administration had. Think right. of our southern border where we had a good plan and remain in Mexico. Now thousands and thousands coming across right. each day. Think of the work that we had done to defer, deter Vladimir Putin. No, they know, they know how to protect America only from embarrassment for, to the Biden administration. It is outrageous what Kirby said today in this report is based upon things that are just simply not true. Right. Uh, over and over again, we see him bending the truth. And I don't give him a pass as a spokesperson for a bad policy. He had nothing to construct because as an admiral, you have to have some integrity. You shouldn't take the job as press secretary if it means you got to lie. There's no way that he means what he says. He spoke to reporters shortly after the Pentagon and State Department provided classified reviews of the decision making process. The State Department sat on their hands. They blamed the Kirby actually blamed the State Department prior for not processing enough visas. Maybe they didn't. But he didn't do anything to process visas once he took over. 
So General Jack Keane knows as much about this as anything else. He was also in conversation with President Trump and was consulting him uh, basically to slow down. You don't want to leave this country. The Taliban will come right back. And the president, for everyone to say about President Trump, was coachable on this. Cut 10. What people forget is we had 7,000 NATO troops there, not counting the 2,500-plus that the U.S. had. Every NATO nation wanted to stay, but they would only stay if the United States was staying because we had air support and we provided logistics support. But President Biden, from people who were in the room, was the smartest man in the room on this. He knew better, and he made that decision. And I believe me, I think he owns all the consequences as a result. And by the way, and I'm going to talk more about this with Scott Mann, and then we'll I'll open up the conversation with Will Kane. But I do want to talk a little bit about Tennessee. So you know the horrible shooting two weeks ago when this uh, woman, uh, woman who wanted to become a man, uh, having problems at home, obviously, seeing a psychiatrist clearly. We'll, we'll find out about drugs, I'm sure, the prescription drugs shortly. You know, decides to take three of her seven guns, able to buy legally, and go into a Christian school that didn't have an armed guard. The rest ones did, and shoot their way through the door, kill three nine-year-olds and three adults. And the problem, of course, is Republicans, white people, and assault rifles. The Tennessee led to Tennessee decides when they were going to vote on, uh, you know, they're voting on armed guards. They're doing things. Well, it turns out a bunch of people who believe that gun control is the problem tried to storm the Capitol and did. And it turns out that three legislators, Democrats, were leading them. Can you imagine if Senator Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz and Matt Gates led the insurrection on January 6th, led the, uh, the rally that turned into a riot on January 6th? That's what these guys did. And now they're upset that they got kicked out of their seat and have to run for a special re-election to get it back. What's what's significant about two of the three? They're black, which lead Ellie Mistel on MSNBC to do what he does best. Say white people are terrible. Cut 28. There's no accounting for vitriol, Chris. There's no accounting for hate. The reason why these people, these Republicans, cannot take winning for an answer is because... They hate us. And like, I, I, I know that that like that level is, is for certain white viewers kind of like hard to get your minds around. But like what the racism comes from is hatred of black folks. And he wouldn't have a career unless he could say ridiculous things like that in Tennessee. Really? You insulted every white person in Tennessee. Oh, excuse me. Every person in America. Fantastic. Uh, what a clown. Oh, why he gets away with stuff like that is is stunning. Or maybe that's why he got the job. We come back, Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I won't share my personal recommendation to the president, but I will give you my honest opinion, and my honest opinion and view shaped my recommendation. I recommended that we maintain 2,500 troops in Afghanistan, and I also recommended earlier in the fall of 2020 that we maintain 4,500 at that time. Those are my personal views. I also have a view that the withdrawal of those forces would lead inevitably to the collapse of the Afghan military forces and eventually the Afghan government. And he was right. That was General McKenzie, but he was unable to prevail. He did not put his stars on the table. So therefore, we have to live with those decisions that the president is punting and blaming Donald Trump. That outraged and must have perplexed Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann. He conducted a coordinated task force, Pineapple. His book is a bestseller, Operation Pineapple Express, and joins us now. Scott, your reaction to the, uh, I guess, press secretary, Admiral Kirby, saying, not my fault? Yeah, I mean, I think I was just blown away, Brian. I mean, I I was so disappointed in just the absence of personal responsibility and personal accountability. I mean, set everything else aside to give the perception that this was somehow, you know, not complete chaos and not something that needs to be addressed and fixed uh, is just so disappointing. And I think it really has a lot of veterans just kind of reeling right now. Because they're not even adding up to it. They say, well, that Doha deal was not good, and we had to leave. I had no choice. You know the military. Did they have a choice? And would well, you say that their, their exit was not chaotic? Right. I mean, first of all, and you know, you and I have had this conversation, you know, based on the way the Afghan war went, there's no administration that should be thumping their chest about how things went. And certainly the Doha agreement was flawed. But this withdrawal and certainly this abandonment, uh, is 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 owned by the Biden administration, and what concerns me, Brian, is when you when you don't take personal responsibility for something. I mean, this is what we teach our kids. If you don't take personal responsibility for something, then that also signals that you have no intention of fixing it. And when you look at the moral injury that's been heaped upon our veterans, seventy three percent of veterans feel betrayed from the Afghan war, and then you look at the national security, the rec- recruiting problem that we have where the army missed its goal by 25 percent, the emergence of ISIS and al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. I mean, all of those things are glaring problems. And if this administration is not willing to own what happened with the withdrawal and the abandonment, then they're certainly not willing to own what it's going to take to fix it. Who's going to get fired over this? Peter, the purpose of the document that we're putting out today uh, is to sort of collate the chief reviews and findings of the agencies that did after-action reviews. This document and this effort isn't about accountability today. It's about understanding. And I would also add that, the, as I said to Ed, the review process isn't over. This is, this is the next muscle movement in what will be a long process to better understand and comprehend and adjust to what we learned and what we did in Afghanistan. What kind of military says things like, this isn't about accountability? What kind of military? I mean, isn't that the day one? It's all about being accountable? 
100%. And, and again, you know, when you think about a moral injury on the veteran population, that's an injury on the soul. That's a violation of one's moral code. And what is so egregious about this, regardless of your politics, Brian, is that for 20 years, our military men and women were held to a standard that you don't leave a partner on the battlefield, you don't abandon a partner. And then the very institutional leaders who held us to that standard for almost two decades violated it in the worst public way in the most public of forums. And, and then to say there's no accountability uh, and to try to shift the blame to a previous administration, uh, regardless, and I would be saying this if it was Trump or Obama, uh, it was it was just an egregious abandonment of our allies, and, and it's going to follow us home if we don't start taking some actions to address what's happened as a result of it. Oh, yeah. So they talked about, well, we didn't uh, – the previous administration wasn't processing the SIVs, the people that could come home with us that passed the background check. But they don't talk about the fact that the embassy ceased processing SIVs for weeks at a time late in the spring, early summer, even though they said they're leaving in September and they were supposed to leave in May. So, therefore, everyone tries to leave at the same time. And then we find out, Scott, you probably wouldn't even know this, that the president and first lady and all the VIPs are calling in to uh, uh, to uh, Hamid Karzai Airport demanding certain people get through. And making yeah. those friends the priority. Finding out the State Department was drinking in their final night before, almost wistfully saying goodbye. Well, how does that make you feel? Well, I can tell you that, um, you know, towards the end of the, of the NEO, I received a call from the military special advisor to Vice President Kamala Harris asking Pineapple to help get one of their favorite Afghans out. And I remember thinking, you know, what planet am I on right now? The vice president Where, calling you. That, that A special advisor to the vice president, yes, um, called me to request assistance in getting one of their Afghans out. And that wasn't the only. We had calls from congressional officials. We had calls from the, from the office of the Joint Chiefs. There were calls placed from very high within the CIA and not just my group, large numbers of volunteer groups were fielding these calls. So I, I, this is worth playing again. Cut three. And so for all this talk of chaos, I just didn't see it. Not from my perch. At one point during the evacuation, there was an aircraft taking off full of people, Americans and Afghans alike, every 48 minutes. This is the utter definition of chaos. If I was writing a movie script, I'd say do what they did in Afghanistan and replicate that. Scott, how many of your guys came out of retirement to help get out how many people? Tell me. I think the, the number towards the end was nearly 150. Many of those were active duty guys who were basically risking their careers uh, to do this, junior officers and senior non-commissioned officers, as well as a whole range of veterans. But when you talk about that chaos, Brian, um, the Minister of Women's Affairs, Hasina Safi, one of four female ministers in the country, arguably the most hunted woman in Afghanistan, was on the run with her family. State Department wouldn't pick up the phone. They wouldn't bring her in. Uh, ambassador Kelly Curry, uh, former uh, ambassador uh, under the Trump administration, was trying to get her in. And we ended up, with, work. you know, Pineapple Express moving her through if an you, open sewage canal. And that, a Scott, that's, um, I remember that. It's uh, all in your book, Operation Pineapple Express. Scott Mann, thanks.
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We see that collectively, this representative and the other two pounded on the podium, led chants with citizens in the gallery, and generally engaged in disorderly and disruptive conduct. That's exactly what they did. That is uh, State Representative Gino Bolso of Tennessee. After we watched, uh, I think it looked like two separate insurrections into the state house because people think Republicans are to blame for uh, gun control or no red flag laws or whatever the debate was. They thought it would be better uh, if it was stormed. And leading the charge were these three lawmakers, two of which have gotten kicked out. One of which happens to be a white woman and says, well, the only reason they didn't kick me out is because a white woman. But here, uh, talking about this all morning with me on Fox and Friends, we'll be talking about it on Fox and Friends this weekend, is Will Kane. Will, was that off your interview this morning? That Gino, Did you interview Gino Bolso? No, I interviewed the Speaker of wow. the Tennessee House. Yeah, and, and so we said, so uh, what's her name? The, there, there was three Tennessee lawmakers who took to the floor, grabbed a bullhorn, disrupted proceedings, and um, two of them were black dudes, and one was a white lady. And she was not kicked out, and the two guys have been expelled. And she went on to CNN and said, well, I think the reason is pretty obvious. I'm a 60-year-old white woman, and they're two black men. That's not the case she made when she went before the Tennessee House. She lawyered up and goes, well, I, I didn't do what they did. You know, I didn't, I didn't grab a megaphone. I didn't pound the table. So she made a case that what she did and behave, how she behaved was different, and she shouldn't be expelled there before the House. But then when she goes on to CNN, you know, it's all white supremacy. So we, we watch the State House being surged. Now, keep in mind what this is about. This is about the brutal killing of six people, three of which were nine years old. Yeah. Because for some trans, uh, transitioning woman who, living at home with seven guns in a room that her parents allegedly didn't know anything about— Going through some psychological, uh, going through psych, uh, psychiatric, you know, psychiatric uh, sessions. Uh, we know the parents who have conflicts because they don't believe in this transitioning. I guess wrote a manif- manifesto. This was all well planned out. Could Which we have been haven't so seen. much worse. Why haven't we seen this? Exactly. Why haven't we seen that manifesto? We're not talking about the incident. The president never showed up in Nashville. He never sat there and mourned with anyone. I don't even know if he called the people. We, you know, didn't the Buffalo shooter, the racist Buffalo shooter, have like a manifesto? And we saw it really, really quickly. If my yeah. memory serves, right? I think we saw that really quickly. I don't. I mean, why wouldn't we see this manifesto? I think the reasons are pretty obvious. Is there's, you know, um, they're, they're doing their best, and I, I hate to use the the pronoun they because it's ambiguous and imprecise, but. There seems to be a collective mindset to do your best to de-emphasize the fact that the shooter was trans because the implication is it would impugn a wider community. But that that same conservative instinct doesn't apply across the board. It's not a universal instinct. Right. And and therefore it is hypocritical. And therefore, if it's hypocritical, you see the underlying motivations that you're just for some people and – Against others. Right. And the president sees this as an opportunity to push for uh, banning assault weapons. Uh, Joe Biden wrote this. Today's expulsion of lawmakers who engaged in a peaceful protest is shocking, undemocratic and without precedent. Rather than debating their merits at the time, these Republican lawmakers have chosen to punish, silence and expel 
duly elected representatives of Tennessee, a strong majority of Americans want lawmakers to act on common sense gun safety reforms. And we know that will save lives. But instead, we continue to see Republicans, officials across America double down on dangerous bills and make other schools, places of worship and communities less safe. You know, he didn't write a word of this, but his feeling is I'm going to go to bat for the two insurrectionists. Yeah. Let me talk. So um, I just saw a video before I came on your show of one of the insurrectionists. I think it's I think it was Justin Pearson. I don't know if you guys have that sound, but it's it's pretty fascinating. So he gives a speech on the floor of the Tennessee House. Okay, And um, Brian, so throughout my career, you've been doing this long enough that you're probably one of one. No one's ever said to you you're doing an imitation of somebody else. But people said that to me a lot. Like, oh, Will's doing Tucker. Will's doing Skip Bayless. They do it, yeah. Oh, I've gotten Skip. I've gotten Tucker. Uh, I can't remember who else. I'm just doing me. But I forgive the instinct to think that everybody's a fraud because I think everybody is a fraud. In an economy where Dylan Mulvaney gets sponsorships from the lights of Bud Light and Nike for pretending to be a girl, really bad, by the way, impression of a girl. Um, I see him on the floor with Drew Barrymore. Remember that last week, finding who the who is she is who she really is. It's just it's a cartoon. Right. It's a caricature of a girl. I, I mean, if I were a woman, I'd be so offended. Like, so that's your impression of 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 a girl. So we should define who this is. Oh, Dylan. Yeah, but people do they know? I don't know. Dylan Mulvaney is the trans dude who's now getting corporate sponsorships all over the place on the Budweiser can. Nike. Nike's got to give her a deal. Yeah. Featured on Drew Barrymore, uh, and she's 26. And he's a fraud. He's a fraud. Right. Yeah, he's 26, right. pretending to be, a, I don't know, like a 14-year-old girl. He's a fraud, okay? I don't know what March Madness is. What sport is that? Bull Dylan, you know it's basketball. You know it. Okay, so my point is there's a lot of fraud going on. And, and by the way, getting, you don't like the stereotype that women don't know sports, right? I mean, he's. I think playing. that most women know that March Madness is basketball. Yeah. At a minimum. I think that's the orange round ball they're doing in, in March. If you had Jim. Yeah. At some point in your life. And I also think Dylan's a dude. And right. I think that all of Dylan's life, he that somehow the month of March did not escape his attention. Right. So the point I'm getting at is he's a fraud. Okay. So back to Tennessee. So I just saw this video of this guy, Justin Pearson, one of the insurrectionists, and he's doing this big speech. And, I mean, it is a big speech, right, from the cotton fields to the lynching tree. And all I thought the whole time is he as well is doing a B-level actor impersonation of Martin Luther King. Or like, Malcolm X. Well, it, no, it's yeah. King. Oh, yeah. Because he's doing the speech, you know, the, 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 the rise and fall of the speech pattern. Do you want to hear a little bit of it? I w- tell me that you don't hear a bad actor doing Martin Luther King. Cut 33. And you – are seeking to expel District 86's representation from this house in a country that was built on a protest. In a country that was built on a protest. You who celebrate July 4th, 1776, hot fireworks and eat hot dogs. You say to protest is wrong because you spoke out of turn. Because you spoke up for people who are marginalized. You spoke up for children who won't ever be able to speak again. Oh, I think he was just getting warmed up. <laughs> you gotta, if you have a little later cut, uh, you got to get from the, from the cotton field. There will be a resurrection. I think, he sees, I think he's putting himself in the seat of Jesus Christ on Easter weekend, meaning he's coming back. 
Oh, he's coming back. We're coming back. Special they election. Can, they can be democratically reelected. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. I mean, how does that, if you really wanted to protect schools, what, what do you want to do? Okay, go and debate your cause. Tell me what you want to do. Do you have an idea about a red flag law that's going to work? Do you think that the open carry rules or whatever Tennessee has on the books is not effective? Uh, how do you seal off all these schools? How, come money would it, how much money would it take? How much is left in the COVID money? What about the private schools? Can they share in some of this? What does standard security for any school look like? What states can help you out? Instead of making these grandstanding gestures, you have to you have to secure that school tomorrow. And then you could say, okay, who is the shooter? How many more have we had like this? Biden's been kind of acting like the assault weapons ban did something. Yeah. It didn't do anything. No. It did not it did not have a an appreciable positive impact outside of the fact that gun violence, people don't understand this actually, has been on the decline for several decades from the nineties forward. Recent spike lately. Um, with crime going up, starting with COVID, everything went up. Um, but, you know, to bring back the assault weapons ban is just a simply an ideological talking point that doesn't have any real impact on real world violence. And by the way, the trans shooter was taken down by a quote unquote assault weapon. And that's where we should focus, man. Those dudes, you saw that stuff, right? I mean, he, that guy, uh, officer, his name's escaping my attention. Oh, they're, was, they're amazing. He gave a speech. Or he kinda, it wasn't a yeah. speech. It was a press conference where he gave his, his retelling of events that day. Right. Man, that is what we need to be talking about. We need to be talking about those guys. who they, they, I just love the efficiency. They weren't perfect because they were working with a team of guys that they weren't. It was whoever showed up. And he grabbed three, he said, yeah. patrol officers, two patrol officers to make a team of three, go room by room clearing until they get up. To the final room where is it Hale? Right. Was her last but, they, but the goal is to get there as quick as possible, even if it means not clearing and, a room and or Brian, two. They didn't hesitate around one corner, yeah. not one door. You know they how much guts that takes? Indirectly, go, go, go. I'm with you. I've got your back. Corner by corner, no hesitation. Real. That's, that's not a fraud. That's real men. Right. To me, I, I can't believe we're still storming the Capitol. There's no, the only bad guy is dead. Uh, and to me, they're trying to include the, that shooter in the casualty numbers, as if we lost seven people that day. You didn't lose seven people. You like six people. One was an assassin. I don't count Lee Harvey Oswald as a casualty of, D- of JFK's assassination. He's yeah. an assassin. The casualty was the president of the United States. So this guy, we need to find out where he's from, I mean, what, what brought him to this place. And if you really want to stop the next one... I want to know if the therapist should have acted. I want to know what the parents actually did because somewhere there's parents and therapists out there going, that guy is crazy. He is violent. He is dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. A guy or girl, you know, yeah. whatever, with transitioning. I want to know if, what the, the responsibility of the therapist is. When that person leaves your office, go, wow, that guy's crazy. He's a little violent. He wants to kill his parents. Really? Do I have a responsibility? To call the cops on that and put a then then again you blew, blew up confidentiality. Yeah. But on the same token, do you want the, the death of three nine year olds on your conscience? Yeah. I, to be honest, I want more details on that. Right. Like I. But to I, me, that's how you unwind how to stop the next one. Look at the core level. I totally agree with you, Brian. Like I think it, the the thing is, do I think we should harden schools? Yeah, we should harden schools. Right away. Unfortunately, you have to. But. There's something broken down in society, and this one's different And because – and this is why I'm kind of a stickler on pronouns because pronouns reflect objective reality. The vast majority of these things happen with young men. That's the, that's the truth, and this was not a young man. It was this a was woman. A, it was a woman, and that's, there's a biological reality. And what I'm getting at is um, we have something wrong with 
young men are broken in our country, and I think that our culture has failed young men, and they told them that masculinity is bad, and we have overprescribed all sorts of drugs to try to cope with some of the personality characteristics of what young men are going through in their life. And I think it, 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 there's a ton of stuff going on at the familial and personal and cultural level that is, that is losing too many young men in our society. This one's different because it, it was a young lady. Right. It, but still, it doesn't escape the truth, which I believe, Brian, which is most of the time the solution to these things exists at a very, very personal, psychological, and familial level. Right. Um, I want to hear that. I want to hear what type of drugs, mood-altering drugs they were on, probably prescribed. Number two is, how did you pass the background check? Do you want a way, for example, the Buffalo shooter at 17 years old was a mess. Turns 18, clean record, goes get the guns, he's off, and he's just There's assassinated background people. checks. I don't know what she did. I don't know how she got the guns. Right. So we adjusted, and there's a way to look back in people's uh, background now. That was part of what Republicans got so criticized for, because we got to fix this. So if you have a problem, if, if there's a problem in Texas, then you go to Mississippi, you have a clean record, the background check passes, that's a problem. So we have to fix that. I think everyone agrees with that. Everybody wants background checks because you don't want to get killed by the next lunatic who got a gun. So I would just love to know how they got – she got seven guns. And if a therapist, the minute you walk in the door, is responsible for somehow getting to that background check where that comes up. And I'm telling you, that's what's got to be explored at least. Because it's easy to see the crazy guy in the street who's drunk, smelling of alcohol, who's going to attack you. I'll look out for that guy. But what about the 22-year-old that only thinks about is bloodthirsty and wants to take you out, that the therapist knows about it, or the priest, or the parent? He goes, yeah, I don't know what to do. Well, you, you, you got to be able to do something. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I, 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 but I just don't think that's – it's not easy because – I know. I, Look, I'll, well, I'll, I can't, st- I can't stop, stop the next I've shooter. I've never I, – I, I don't even – I'm over my skis on personal experience. I've never been to a therapist. So, let, yeah, uh, let's stop right there, and we'll do. We'll pick it up in just okay. a moment. Right. Will Kane's here. Uh, uh, Will, uh, Will you got to run, actually. Oh, yeah, I have a thing. Okay. I got a thing. But have a great weekend show. Uh, we're going to we'll push you on this conversation. 6 to 10, Saturday okay. and Sunday. Okay, yes. Fox and Friends. I, I didn't really end with a flourish. I apologize. I know. It feels like we didn't stick the landing, like there's a splash, and we're not going to get a perfect 10. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The way that this president ordered it done, there were children being killed. There were people hanging off of Air Force jets that were leaving, and you're saying that you guys are proud of the way that this mission was conducted? It doesn't proud mean... Of, of that? Proud of the fact that we got more than 124,000 people safely out of Afghanistan? You bet. Proud of the fact that American troops were able to seize control of a defunct airport and get it operational in 48 hours? You bet. Proud of the fact that we now have about 100,000 Afghans our former allies and partners living in this country and working towards citizenship? You bet. Does that mean that everything went perfect in that evacuation? Of course not. Do you believe this? I mean, it, every time I hear it, I'm more and more astounded. 
They got people out because the 82nd was scrambled quickly. And if you could scramble the 82nd quickly, could you have stopped the march on Kabul, period? Could you have not? Could you come up with a scenario and a game plan that doesn't require the Taliban to be your security guards? Yeah, the most vile fighters that we've been grappling with for 20 years who believe women are subservient. Men should be uh, anyone who does not subscribe to their doctrine should be tortured and killed. Oh, by the way, women can't even have any rights. They've done nothing they've promised, and we gave them the city and asked them to provide security for an airport, and you want a pat on the back that you got 100,000 people out? No, they did. You had no plan. A president has no clue. And the biggest disaster, it's like it's like Richard Nixon, uh, who really is responsible, combining with Gerald Ford to talk about the success of the Saigon exit. Wasn't it fortuitous that we had a trap door on the ceiling to be able to get a, uh, 24 people out as opposed to the 77,000 South Vietnamese that were chopped up and left behind or forced to assimilate or went to correction camps. Let's just talk about the success of Saigon. That'll be great. Or how well prepared we were for the attack on 9-11. I mean, who would do that? How would you say that? And as a military officer, if they gave me that 12 pound as a non-military, if they just gave me that 12-sheet report, this is a summary of what went wrong, I would say, I, I can't do this. Are you kidding? Do you understand that people, this is only two years ago. We're not asking people to go back 35 years. This was two years ago. Everybody knows it was a disaster. Everyone knows we didn't communicate. Everyone knows that Trump wanted to get out, but this was not how he was going to get out. We can't pretend that Trump left us a plan that was unworkable because I already undid almost everything he tried to do. Little things like the XL pipeline to taking down the Remain in Mexico policy to reversing all the oil and gas issues to stopping drilling everywhere I can, ignoring the Abraham Accords, all that stuff. Reapproaching with Iran, getting back in the Paris deal. I can't tell people that I couldn't get out of the Trump plan for getting out of Afghanistan. They won't believe it. That's what I would have said. But instead, Admiral Kirby embraced it and said, I love this. I'm going to pretend as if I can fight for this. Sickening. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. We come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Two days from Easter, uh, kind of exciting. Also on Fox Nation, I had a chance to spend some quality time with Cardinal Timothy Dolan, or Timothy Cardinal Dolan. I'm not sure how you say it. But we went to St. Patrick's, went over, he got a great Easter message. We weave in the news through it, and you can go catch it on Fox Nation. I also have part two uh, on One Nation on Saturday night. So you're going to love it. Saturday night, 8 o'clock on, on this show, on, excuse me, on Fox News Channel. And uh, 8 o'clock, repeated 11 o'clock, those are Eastern times. Now, in a matter of moments, we're going to get to now-retired Colonel uh, Chris Douglas, uh, U.S. Marine. Also at the bottom of the hour, a former Navy SEAL named Ryan Zinke, now Congressman from Montana again, former Secretary of the Interior. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There has been intimidation applied, and there's a threat to board vessels in the Taiwan Straits under a quote-unquote law enforcement exercise. As I said yesterday, it would be a, a serious mistake. 
Uh, that is Michael McCall, the China seeds over House delegation in Taiwan and a visit by their president to New York in California. And now they've responded. A show of force and a show of confusion, in my view. What is next between the two superpowers? Number two. The reason why these people, these Republicans, cannot take winning for an answer yes. is because they hate us. Hatred of black folks. Totally irresponsible. How could this guy still have a job? That's Elise Mistel of Harvard, uh, Harvard attorney. What's the big deal? That's what the Dems are saying about lawmakers uh, storming the Capitol, led by lawmakers and everybody else. Since when is an insurrection okay? But as usual, the expulsion of two black lawmakers because they led the insurrection means everyone's a racist. Is anyone buying it? Are we even focused on the school shooting? Number one. And so for all this talk of chaos... I just didn't see it. Not from my perch. At one point during the evacuation, there was an aircraft taking off full of people, Americans and Afghans alike, every 48 minutes. It was tough in the first few hours. You would expect it to be. Unbelievable, right? John Kirby. The Biden team decides they are not to blame for the worst debacle in American military history, despite being in charge for over a year and a half, making all the decisions leading up to the chosen end of a 20-year war. The conclusion, Trump, it's all Trump's fault. We'll explain why uh, that will not stand, because we all have, we're smart people as a country, and we have military experts who are there, like uh, Colonel Chris Douglas of, of the Marines. Is it Lieutenant Colonel or Colonel? It's Colonel. So you were when I met you, Lieutenant Colonel. When I met you, I was a Lieutenant Colonel. I had just gotten back from uh, from Afghanistan, and then uh, then uh, you went to Colonel. Iraq, and then I went to Iraq, and then I went back to Afghanistan. And right. So retired as a Colonel. And, the, uh, not to vacation. Not to vacation. No. So they they just when you're about to retire, uh, uh, Colonel, they say, "Hey, we need you." So and we need you in uh, in in Qatar, because that's where we're going to be evacuating those who are lucky enough to get in these cargo jets. I need you to screen people because we're leaving Afghanistan. Could you bring us through that time? Yeah, so I was hitting uh, 30 years mandatory service, which is uh, required for us to retire at that point as Marine officers. Uh, my boss had asked if I would remain because of my experience with Afghanistan and, uh, and for the pen- potential that if he went forward as a three-star headquarters, you know, we, wanted to, you know, we wanted to work together. That said, um, you know, the decision was made for him to retire and not to go forward. I went forward to Qatar, you know, with, you know, although I wanted to go forward to Afghanistan. And uh, General McKenzie had seen the chaos that was coming out of Afghanistan and made the decision to put a Marine Corps uh, evacuation coordination center. Um, that, uh, you know, one of the things Marines do in uh, noncombatant evacuations is the, this team works to process evacuees. And so that was the, the team that myself and another Marine from uh, my team and, and Marine Central Command went forward and worked the coordination with, uh, you know, the uh, joint force units that were there. So what I watched yesterday must have driven you nuts because after it was all said and done, you were part of a team, uh, an ASEN team. Army Central Command. Army Central Command. I'm trying to get the names down. Uh, Arson Command. So you as a Marine were helping out Army to evaluate what went wrong afterwards. You guys wrote a pretty extensive report, 150 pages, barring some pictures, maybe a little bit more. Right, with a number of enclosures. Yep. So you have, you know what happened as much as anybody in the country. From what you have studied and witnessed, was that anything like what was talked about yesterday and what's been released to the general public in 12 pages? 
No, Brian. I mean, the unclassified report that was released and was is available on the Central Command webpage that, frankly, Dan Lamoth and some others did some great in, um, uh, research into that, you know, that's kind of fallen off the radar. Uh, no, this is, you know, this is completely in, uh, contrary to some of the information that came out of that. Essentially, it's Trump's fault. They, they gave us a plan. It's impossible to work with. They had a Doha meeting. They t- let some prisoners out of Bagram. So we had to really get at this timeline and we would have been back at war. Is that accurate? I don't I, I don't believe that, Brian. And so, you know, I'm going to paraphrase something that you had said earlier, which is, um, you know, you can delegate responsibility, but you can't delegate accountability. I mean, the Trump administration's, you know, gone. And so they had, you know, while they had set the conditions, you know, that, you know, one May was the, the, you know, expected withdrawal date. That was Mike Pompeo tells me it's always conditions based. Conditions based is, is exactly right. And so I believe it was, uh, you know, general four star general, so uh, special operations commander, uh, general Rich Clark, who testified that, hey, the Taliban are not meeting the conditions of the agreement. I mean, you know, there's a there's a warrior who there said, hey, it's this is not happening. You can't get, be any more clear than that in a conditions-based withdrawal when you have a senior leader of that magnitude who says, not happening. And General McKenzie was pretty clear in that as well. Do you think that has anything to do with why General – was it General Miller? Lieutenant General Miller left the scene because he was in charge, wasn't he? He was in charge. And, I mean, when you talk, you know, you know absolute leader, understanding of Afghanistan. And, you know, I, I, would, I would love to, uh, to get his perspective because of the, uh, the respect I have him. For him and the amount of knowledge he has. Uh, we lost 13 guys, a couple dozen wounded, 170 minimum. Afghans blown to smithereens at Abbey Gate because we decided we only want to have the airport. We didn't want Kabul. We were asked by the Taliban leaders. We said, no, we're not going to do that. Didn't feel we had the forces. But just as a civilian, when you could put 7,000 to 10,000 people in in a few days, I imagine we could have taken the capital. But it looks like the army collapsed and Gahani left with a lot of our money, by the way. So here's a little bit what John Kirby was saying yesterday. Cut three. And so for all this talk of chaos, I just didn't see it. Not from my perch. At one point during the evacuation, there was an aircraft taking off full of people, Americans and Afghans alike, every 48 minutes. And not one single mission was missed. So I'm sorry. I just won't buy the whole argument of chaos. It was tough in the first few hours. You would expect it to be. There was nobody at the airport, certainly no Americans. It took time to get in there. This is he, you're laughing, but is he serious? I, is he serious? Brian, Do you see this video? It defines chaos. Brian, I'm laughing because I want to cry. Um, and, I, and I mean that in a manly sense. But the, you know, the reality of it is there's zero mention of Afghans falling off of uh, C-17s or being trapped in the wheel wells. It requires the air crew to scrape them out. Just uh, horrific uh, upon their landing. What about the perimeter of the airport? Um, it, so the perimeter of the airport is, as we know from the investigation, um, there, you know, the, the airport was breached by evacuees. You had, uh, there's zero mention in that as well of the, uh, the engagements with, with the Taliban. And in some cases, likely unknown, but, uh, but ISIS fighters until general McKenzie makes the, makes the deal with the Taliban of, Hey, look, you know, this isn't happening. We're, uh, you know, we're going to coordinate with the the security. You're going to establish security around. We're going to clear the airfield, and and so the the reality of it is, is you have a combat operations center that that has uh, all the the key leaders. The key leadership all had to vacate doing command and control to get out to assist pushing Afghans because they were overrun. There right. were more evacuees than there were service members to keep them off the airfield. So. 
But don't worry, you're guarded by the Taliban. They provided your security. Think about that for a minute. I mean, how did, how did that make sense? You didn't have enough, they felt, to hold Kabul because you had. So they said, let's just have the Taliban watch the airport take over Kabul. And so that was a huge paradigm shift for me, Brian, because, you know, as you know, I'd, I'd been an advisor in Afghanistan twice for the first, hey, we're leaving Afghanistan in 2014 that was supported by the vice president and the president at that time, the vice president being President um, Biden or VP Biden. And then in uh, 2018, when we had to go back for that. And so the paradigm shift for me was how is it that we have the Taliban providing security? And the reality of it is we had to. Now, here's the problem, though, is what they what the Taliban needed was clear and concise um, instructions. Know, instructions so that we can let these people through. General McKenzie's guidance was was frankly was pretty clear. He said every everybody that comes into the airport will be screened by a member of the Taliban, um, you know, knowing that there was a the potential for a threat. Where was the State Department? So that's that that as we saw in the investigation. So there were members that rotated through. So you've got Marines that are providing security and they're ultimately looking for, you know, passport holders. And they'd come up and they would. Uh, and this is all from the investigation. They would you know, members of the State Department, you know, and not the same people every time, but in small numbers would come up basically during working hours. Um, although Marines are working and armed soldiers with the 82nd and the airmen and sailors are working 24 hours a day, the State Department representatives would come up and they would, uh, hey, we're taking um, just U.S. passport holders. Now we're taking green card. And somebody else would say green cards. Somebody else would say embassy personnel. Somebody else would say, you know, special immigrant visas. Here's the problem. Each time that requires coordination with a member of the Taliban who's on the outside. And so you've got somebody with uh, – you know, with a you know, with a limited education. Let's these, say these are the guys you've been fighting for twenty years, right? The guys who've been fighting for twenty years that are a little frustrated. In twenty right minutes, now, you're now that, dealing with that. Them. We're here, and uh, and so you know, they the 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 service members that are surrounding the airfield through the the great work of you know, I'm going to say the coordination through uh, General McKenzie, General Donahue, and and others to establish this this rela- this working relationship. They're getting screened by these members, but now because of the changing requirements to allow people in, you've got those same people having to go to the Taliban and say, hey, now we're going to allow these people in. And, and finally, they get to the point where they're like, I don't care if you're George effing Bush. You're not, we're not letting anybody in. But you were getting calls from the White House and VIPs to let certain people in. So as a course of the interview, what we found was at all levels – the uh, the amount of pressure and significant pressure um, coming from the the president, the first lady, um, in some cases representatives of the pope, elected officials, you know, general the pope, uh, yeah, the pope, the pope, um, a representative for the pope called and and explained the, the importance of getting a specific group of individuals out, and so you know with criteria changing criteria like that in VIP requests pouring in VIP requests pouring in though you know volatile uncertain and uh, chaotic and ambiguous circumstances now you've got this and then you've got uh, Mr. Kirby talking about hey force protection was the uh, was right. the commander's priority let let's be let's be perfectly clear when you've got that much pressure and that much input and that many phone calls you 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 know you uh you it's taken up a lot of right. your time. And this is what I want to think. We're going to take, come back so we have a decent side segment on the other side. Once the action has been initiated, President Biden repeatedly gave the clear direction to prioritize force protection. And basically what he keeps saying yesterday is this was the plan that was left. We had no choice but to leave 
and do the Trump plan since the Doha agreement was in place. I'm going to ask. Uh, I'm going to see if, if Colonel Douglas's investigation reveals that that was indeed the facts. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I won't share my personal recommendation to the president, but I will give you my honest opinion, and my honest opinion and view shaped my recommendation. I recommended that we maintain 2,500 troops in Afghanistan, and I also recommended earlier in the fall of 2020 that we maintain 4,500 at that time. Those are my personal views. I also have a view that the withdrawal of those forces would lead inevitably to the collapse of the Afghan military forces and eventually the Afghan government. So the president was, uh, according to his spokesperson, Admiral Kirby, was never told that, was never told that the Afghan army would collapse uh, if we pulled out. That according, that according to the 12-page summary of what's supposed to be an extensive report on everything that went wrong in Afghanistan. With me right now is a guy that studied all this. He was part of a task force of under 10 people to put together a comprehensive look at everything that took place and went wrong in the, in the uh, aftermath and leading up to uh, the leaving Afghanistan. It is uh, Colonel uh, Chris Douglas, now retired, who spent a lot of that time in Qatar processing people, seeing all the problems. Was was McKenzie true to his word? Was that his recommendation from your research? So that research, um, so our research didn't cover that. That wasn't part of the scope of the investigation. But what I can tell you is this: um, because that was a Marine Central Command, which is subordinate to Central Command, I I know that. You know, I know that, you know, and, uh, indirectly and, and kind of directly from the meetings that, uh, that 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 was General McKenzie's view. So he said the president said he never got advice that said that was going to happen. That means McKenzie, Milley and Austin are all lying in Coe's testimony. He's never been called to count to this. How how could the president say nobody briefed him on that? From what you know, is it possible the military didn't tell him this could happen? I, yeah, there's no way it's there's no way it's possible. I mean, you know, what was coming back? And, and I mean, Brian, let, let, let's look back to 2014. I mean, where you would, you know, you'd give a report about the effectiveness of the Afghan security forces. You'd say they're effective with advisors. There's a difference between being effective. That means operate on their own. Effective with advisors. That means they need some sort of stability and support there in order to execute operations. So I, I got to tell you, what we left behind is so sickening. $7 billion worth of weapons and equipment. Uh, we know this. 23,825 Humvees with gun variants on them, 900 combat vehicles. We also left them, I did not know this, 250,000 automatic rifles, 95 drones, and more than a million mortar rounds that require little training to use. Here's John Kirby. He knows exactly who to blame. Cut five. Do not underestimate the effect that that Doha agreement had on the morale and the, uh, uh, the willingness to fight on the Afghan National Security and Defense Forces. It, it, had, it had a very corrosive effect on their willingness to continue to fight for their country. Now, we didn't see that. We didn't see that. And part of the reason we didn't see that is because we couldn't see the plans that the previous administration allegedly worked on uh, during the transition. No, as I said in my opening statement, none of those plans were forthcoming. And Ghani came to the White House and asked for, just leave the contractors. No, no, no. He says he didn't see it. Your thoughts on his conclusion? I, I, I just 
blows my mind that that's you know that goes back into the uh, accountability and responsibility. Like, you know, okay, so the previous administration didn't leave you a plan. Well, DOD was doing planning, and by their own admission, you know, the uh, State Department. It's uh, it's not like they ju- would have just picked up planning at that point. Like, I you know, I I uh, and even if there was no plan. Okay, well, you own it at that point. Why would and, you leave without a plan? And so, in his own in his own discussion, going back to when he was uh, running for president, he talked about Iraq and how it would take a year to leave Iraq. Um, you know, the U.S. forces in an earlier run for in president. an earlier run for president, and how if we left all the weapons and qu- equipment, which would, you know our grandchildren would pay for, um, that that would uh, that would take seven months. But that would be bad because we'd be you know our grandkids would see those weapons. Now that said, how is it that he forgot that? This many years later. Evidently, General Keene said he knows people that are there. He was the smartest one in the room. He was uh, he was uh, upping all the military people that were trying to tell him stuff. He never trusts the military. No. And and now he's, he's saying, you never even advised me how bad it would be. Thanks for your service, Colonel Douglas. I'll see you on One Nation Saturday at 8. Looking forward to it. radio show like no other it's brian kilmeade there has been intimidation applied and there's a threat to board vessels in the taiwan straits under a quote-unquote law enforcement exercise uh if that happens in international waters that that becomes a serious problem as i said yesterday it would be a a serious mistake on the part of communist china we would hope that uh, in the spirit of peace that they would not uh, engage in these practices, it only makes us more determined than ever to stand with Taiwan. Uh, that is Mike McCall. He's over in Taiwan now. I give him great credit. I love that it's bipartisan, and I'm sure Congressman Ryan Zinke does too. It doesn't happen enough. He's co-chair of the Northern Border Security Caucus and member of the U.S. Joint Commission on China, Navy SEAL, former Secretary of the Interior, one of the greatest guys you'll meet. Uh, Congressman, welcome back. You know what? Great to be with you, Brian, as always. Uh, Congressman, your thought about what we're doing. We we recognized the president in New York and Los Angeles, in California, but we didn't do it in D.C., and we sent a, a congressional delegation over to Taiwan. What do you think the message is sent, and do you like the message? Well, I do like the message. You know, one is I think it's bipartisan, as, as you said. And, and look, you know, Taiwan is an issue. Uh, the policy hasn't changed. The policy is one China, two systems. But, you know, when you look back, not too recent past on Hong Kong, that is that is now one China, one China. And look, and look it, it, this, this look what China is, right? So China is the number one polluter of emissions. Ninety percent of the world's plastics in the oceans come from four rivers in China. They participate in organ harvesting with wingers and their political dissidents. So you know, China is 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 not our 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 favored country. They're they're aggressive, and and you know what's what's interesting is you uh, and energy, which I pay attention to so closely because energy drives the economy, is this thirst from the Biden administration. We want to be energy independent. The irony is we're becoming energy dependent with China for our critical minerals that are required for batteries, for military defense crystals, for all these things that China produces and in many cases has a lock, we're becoming dependent on a potential adversary. Yes, and that's what that's what 
Senator Manchin said over the weekend. He's like, you, you don't want to mine here. You know we have to buy all this lithium and all this cobalt and everything needed for these electric cars that you say we need. And you know we're stopping natural gas. We're stopping when they can. And stop. We're limiting oil. And we're making ourselves more dependent because everything worships at the altar of the electric car and green energy. And guess who makes most of the solar panels in the world? China. And guess what we're doing now? We're, we're gliding towards a, a, a confrontation like the world has not seen before. Well, and, and it goes on be, beyond critical minerals. It goes on things like pharmaceuticals, uh, chips, you know, things that drive the modern economy. China steals our, our IP. And in, in some cases on military hardware, uh, geranium, for instance, you know, geranium is required for thermal optics, our, our all sensor devices on military hardware for targeting. It, it is absolutely required. Well, where does it where does it come from? Well, ironically, the last mine was in was in Tennessee. The Gore family owned it. Since then, that mine has shut down. But but China owns it all. We send China our specs, and they grow the crystals and send it back to us. How crazy! How is smart that? is that? It's so, the stupidest know, you know, thing ever. Uh, you know, and, and all this is fixable, but but we're going to have to get at it and recognize. Look, is is a China's potential adversary. We need to make sure that we have our ability to pr- produce in this country. You know, the critical parts of the economy and and defense. And now, before we jump off yeah. a cliff of EV, we better look at the supply chain, both on production and what do you do when a battery's life cycle is done? I mean, right now they're just going. That's a great point. Yeah, we have no idea how to do it. Uh, I'm going to say, uh, Congressman, I do think that we have a a select committee on China. Part of that select committee should be how to decouple not only what they're doing, but how to decouple from it. And this is I I want to whisper it because I don't blow it because it's an important issue that both Democrats and Republicans agree on. So unless they're somehow not going to follow through because they might be compromised by China, whether they're giving somebody giving, uh, uh, I don't know, some type of investment with people in their community. They might be a big supporter. If you care about the country, you'll get on the same page like this. And it's got to be within five years. Now, China answered us since we're going doing these visits and they had the transit. They decided to sanction the Reagan Library and Hudson Institute. Do you think we can survive these sanctions? I mean, what are they even thinking? Sanctioning two institutes? Well, you know, it's interesting, right? And and Speaker McCarthy, you know, it was his brainchild to bring both sides together. I, and I, I compliment him on it. And, and look, the Communist Party of China doesn't dictate who the Speaker of the House sees, who he talks to, who Congress talks to. Yeah, that, that's not the purview of China. And so if we, if we rubbed them the wrong way, you know, they rubbed us the wrong way on Hong Kong. And remember, it wasn't that long ago. I, I'm, I'm a naval officer, and I spent a lot of time in the Pacific, and as a secretary I did too. It wasn't that long ago when, when they captured our EP3, remember that, brought, brought it in. They're, they're constantly being aggressive, threatening their neighbors. And so China is flexing their muscle. Uh, you know, I, I think the Taiwan meeting with the president was good because we don't want war, but we need to prepare ourselves uh, for for economic uh, sanctions if necessary. And again, our our economies are our top, and we got to identify those parts that are critical uh, that we're way too dependent. And Biden administration is not helping us; they're they're doing the opposite. And these and these companies, 
In respect, you know, in what respect? Be, what do you mean? Well, the, the, on, on the EV, pushing EV, pushing EV, and, and, and dismantling or trying to dismantle the, the fossil fuel industry, which, by the way, we do it cleaner than anybody. When I was in, in, in secretary, I came in, we were 8.3 million barrels a day and declining as a nation in production. Two short years, 12.5 million barrels a day, the largest exporter of energy. And you know what we did? We lowered emissions because we do it better than anyone else in the world. And fracking. So if you, if you, if fracking and production and refining, we do it better than anybody. So it's better to produce energy in this country, mm-hmm. all the above, than watch it get produced and exported from other countries that don't have the same standards. Congressman, coming up in about two months, uh, we're going to find out about the debt ceiling. Uh, we know the president does not even want to engage on it. We know there are certain members of the House that will not uh, sign off on it. Uh, if there's if the president doesn't engage, and he should, you know, as Joe Manchin said, what, why can't we get back to 2019 spending? Why don't we agree to pre-pandemic spending? So, I mean, what's wrong with that? And uh, do you have at least one Democrat that will work with you on that? So what do you do you see a way forward? You're inside the Republican caucus. Do you see a way forward here? Not unless they negotiate in good faith. You know, it's, it's like a kid that is given a credit card, right? Biden administration charge up the credit card, and, and the first thing you do if you're if you're a parent, you take the credit card away. Then then you owe that debt. You do, but you have to change your habits in order not to accumulate that debt. And, and it's just as simple as that. There's not a chance in the caucus that I see that we're going to go forward with, a, with another blank check to a Biden administration. Just keep on spending. Zero chance, uh, I, I think, in, in, in this issue, fiscally, uh, the House has to stand firm. And by the way, it's in Constitution, too. I love the Constitution. It's only eight pages. I, I encourage everyone to read it. But Article 1 up front is appropriations. No money should be withdrawn from the Treasury unless consequenced by appropriations, by yeah. law, by Congress. All right. So, in, in our, uh, Congressman- and so we control the purse. Congressman, real quick, are you thinking about running for the Senate? You know, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Two things. One is, is I think Senator Tester is vulnerable, so we need a candidate that can beat him uh, on that. And we got to hold the House. So right now, holding the House is important, and, and being on appropriations is making sure we, we get our financial house back in order. And that's job one. And, and, and I can't run a campaign right now and do appropriations and, 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 and the China and do everything well. So I'm, I'm focused, uh, moving ahead on, on making sure we do have fiscal responsibility. Everything should go to appropriations. And, and look, I have time all year and, 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 and see where, where the ground is. But there, there's some good candidates out there that can win, uh, and, and, that, and that's important. Yeah, I just keep hearing John Tester's vulnerable, and he keeps winning. Uh, he's a Democrat in a Republican state, and uh, he never, never uh, does what Cinema and Manchin do at times, and that stand up to his own party. So I wish we we could stop this mirage uh, because he doesn't represent the Montana people. I don't know why they keep voting him in. It's just a big mystery to me, but I'm on the outside. Lastly, I want you to get your wee on in Afghanistan because your administration is getting the blame. Listen to Listen to John Kirby, cut five. Do not underestimate the effect that that Doha agreement had on the morale and the uh, – the willingness to fight on the Afghan National Security and Defense Forces. The president, he says the president uh, walked into a situation where they were just stuck in an agreement uh, that was supposed to, uh, that was to have them pull out of Afghanistan. So he had no choice. 
you were the same guy, remember, mentioned that our allies were amazed at the efficiency that we pulled out. Are you kidding me? We got censored by, by the British legislature, by the British Parliament. We left $80 billion of, of material there. At the same time, we're retreating. Whose, whose decision was it to leave Bagram or, 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 or leave Kandahar? It was this administration. Yes. You own it. And, oh, by the way, we not only abandoned our citizens, we locked the gates shut and knowingly and willingly left thousands of U.S. citizens in Kabul to fend for themselves while the Taliban are stoning to death the female pilots we trained and hanging interpreters out of U.S.-made Blackhawks. Are you kidding me? Whose responsibility is that? Commander-in-Chief Biden. And, and, and that failure probably led to Putin having a green light and, 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 and Ukraine. And the weakness of this administration has an effect globally because no one trusts us after Afghanistan. And, and now we're, we're, we're looking at a conflict, possible conflict in the Pacific. This is Biden administration up and close and personal. There's no way that President Trump, he wanted to get out. There's no way that his ego, the worst part of it, his ego would have allowed him. To leave Afghanistan like that, uh, that martyr guy, a martyr, he would have been killed on the spot. If you took another spot, we can now see where you are, Taliban. You're not in the mountains anymore. You're dead if you take another step. He wouldn't have allowed it uh, because he knew well, it would and, be reflective of him. And there was too many good and, people and around him that decision. wouldn't. Right, and to make the decision to go into Kabul and leave Kandahar and Bagram that, that could be defended, you know, that could have rotary wing. Uh, it, it was a really obvious, a colossal blunder. But this is not. I got. I got a hand to the administration. They're consistent. They're consistent across the board. Every decision they've made has been a wrong one. So I think we'll get through it as a country because I haven't seen any problems that are not fixable. But when you talk about the border, you talk about energy, you talk about inflation, you talk about China, you talk about Ukraine, a blank check. We're tiptoeing closer to nuclear combat in Ukraine, and we have no plan. Yeah, the administration. Excuse me, we do have a plan, and we gave it to the Russians. The Defense Department allowed our our plan that we gave Ukraine to to have their spring surge was leaked inadvertently to the Russians yesterday. Well, and and, and then you then you look at Ukraine itself. You know, (laughs) he's no angel. So so giving a blank check uh, to to a third party. And, and a lot of those weapon systems make a transit there and are, are on the world market. And, and look, the Crimean Peninsula, Russia's not leaving the K- Crimean Peninsula. This is hundreds of years of wars on the Crimean Peninsula. It's their only freshwater port. It's like a, it's like asking us to, to abandon the Mississippi River. It ain't going to happen. But they and, did, and, and but that, Khrushchev that did give it to them, to and they conflict. did illegally take it. But it might not be practical to get it back. It was Khrushchev that gave it to Ukraine. So... Uh, and I mean, then remember just... that the port was going to be going to be divided, like Berlin. You know, they have access to it. It didn't work out very well. But at the end of the day, you know, Russia's wounded, and they've they've you know two hundred fifty thousand casualties. They've lost you know over half of their combat strength, and, and the world is looking at at it. And they don't have the ability to project force from their own border. U.S. We have we have ability to project force anywhere in the world. There's a there's a big difference between Russian military and the U.S. U.S. military. Yeah. You know, ha- ha- having said that, I, you know, I think Putin's a war criminal. You can't say anything else, but because when you have indiscriminate targeting of civilians, 
intentionally willful conduct of killing civilians. That's what he is. He's a war criminal. But uh, you know, nuclear war, you got to take really serious on tactical nukes, and, and, and at all costs, he will not leave the Korean Peninsula. Uh, yeah, well, he's got to get the hell out of their country. Uh, he can't. We can't give give you. Let him take twenty percent of Ukraine because he wanted it. I think that's a very very bad trend. Well, and you know, and then, and then you, you turn to what's happening in the Pacific, which is a concern. You know, McCall's over there. Uh, they certainly have the capability to blockade. We certainly have the capability to challenge the blockade. Uh, but but you know I think I think the the important thing out of the conversation with the president of Taiwan was well we're, we're going to have dialogue China's not going to going to dictate where that dialogue is the policy hasn't changed in the U S gotcha. but two systems is two systems and and when we do protect freedom go get him uh, Congressman Ryan Zinke multi talented thanks so much Congressman go- thank you and and, uh, and have a great Easter weekend you too remember why we celebrate it Absolutely. thank you and God bless go get him. Thank you. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. They've said it all, but this is the beginning of the end of the Republican Party as I see it. I don't see that they're going to win in any elections anymore in this country, not national elections. They're on the wrong side. These kids were born in 1997, not 1897, which is where the Republican Party is going. And they're like, hey, whoa, hold up. I don't want to get killed in school. Yeah. I don't want to, you know, be in the middle of another tornado or whatever the hell's going on in this country. All I hear about are tornadoes all the time. Is that climate change? It is, Probably it is, it is part it of is. climate yeah. change. Yeah, yeah it just, it's amazing how glad I am every day that I don't watch The View. I mean, every day, you really get dumber by listening to this. So, of course, any time there's a tornado, it has to be climate change. Because I know in the 1800s, nobody talked about uh, tornadoes. Oh, that's right. It was Tornado Alley for hundreds of years until maybe it was even Tornado Alley during when the dinosaurs were here. I'm not sure. There's a lot of people, young and old, who are not on the same page as banning guns in America. But they are right. There were younger people who went into the state house and stormed it. And just for, for the record, there's a lot of people who are young and also don't want to get killed in Chicago, New York, in Charlotte, North Carolina, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. They look around and say, who's in charge? I'm 18. I'm 22. I'm 25. Why am I fearful walking to school, not in school? It's because I'm in a city urban environment and I'm with a Democratic administration that puts criminals first and doesn't lock them up. They also vote and they're also young. There's many issues. Nobody's pro school shooting, but I think we all are for school protection. And I thought we could get on the same page as that. It's amazing. This transgender shooter shoots up a school, plans it, and it's Republicans' fault. From the Fox News radio studios in midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th on this Good Friday uh, in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. 
Uh, I guess why Marjorie Taylor Greene does not like New York, uh, because she says it is uh, dirty and uh, she was not treated well. But a lot of people do. Uh, a great city, great potential. Uh, crime is going down somewhat, but leadership's been terrible. Cops have not been empowered, although I have some good news. Uh, police officers have gotten a, a, something like a five-year contract, uh, so we don't have to have a major strike, but we do need to pay them more. But I digress. President of the United States, if you're looking for leadership, not going to have it. He's at Camp David. And guess what he did? He actually left just as his White House put out a 12-page report on what went wrong and who to blame when it comes to Afghanistan, giving the media 10 minutes to digest it and then have Admiral, uh, Admiral Kirby digest it. So before we get to Shannon Bream, big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. There has been intimidation applied and there's a threat to board vessels in the Taiwan Straits under a quote-unquote law enforcement exercise. As I said yesterday, it would be a, a serious mistake. Yeah, uh, China seethes over a House delegation in Taiwan and a visit by their president in New York and California. And now they responded. A show of force, show of confusion. What is next between the superpowers? Number two. The reason why these people, these Republicans, cannot take winning for an answer is because they hate us. Hatred of black folks. Exactly. Republicans always have hated black folks, especially when we had that civil war, uh, as opposed to the Democrats in the 1920th century that spent all their time pushing and executing segregation. That's right. Republicans hate black people. Tell that to Tim Scott, please, and Burgess Owens. I keep forgetting when they come on the air with me. What's the big deal? That's what Dems are saying about a lawmaker-led insurrection at the state capitol in Tennessee. Same party that can't talk enough about January 6th. But as usual, the expulsion of two black lawmakers means they're racist. It's all about race, not the killing of six innocent people in a school. Number one. And so for all this talk of chaos, I just didn't see it. Not from my perch. At one point during the evacuation, there was an aircraft taking off full of people, Americans and Afghans alike, every 48 minutes. It was tough in the first few hours. You would expect it to be. Sickening. Biden team decides they are not to blame for the worst debacle in American military history. Despite being in charge for over a year, making all the decisions leading up to the chosen end of a 20-year war. Their conclusion? It's Trump's fault. We'll explain what they're thinking if they were indeed thinking. So think about this, Shannon. Uh, as you, uh, of course, experienced the success of your book and well-deserved, the love stories of the Bible speak, biblical lessons on romance, friendship, and faith, uh, which is now, now number, is it number two in the country? It is, thanks to our listeners and our viewers and you who did a bulk buy. I appreciate that. Right. Uh, yes, a bulk buy. You gave me $2 off. I could not resist it. A best-selling <laughs> book. How could I do it? Now, were you jealous of me? As I digress and not build off my last point. I don't even need to know what the rest of the sentence is. You're right. Thanks for joining me, Shannon. We already made that apparent. Uh, So are you jealous of me that I got to go to St. Patrick's? I got a chance to walk with Cardinal Dolan around the most famous church in the country. I got a chance to get a personal Easter message that I share with the world. I love that. I mean, is he not one of the most interesting guys? And it's such a beautiful place there. And I am going to be watching. I can't wait. 
Yeah, um, we aired it this morning on Fox and Friends. Part two is going to be on One Nation tonight, uh, Saturday night. And Very I have nice. the whole thing on Fox Nation. I love it. And who doesn't need a hopeful, good Easter message? And he is so good at bringing the hope into times that are very troubled, as that's the rest of your show is the trouble part. Right. Okay. So so think about this, Shannon, and I know you have. You know you're about to walk into a meeting of something extremely conscious. You know, it's the day before everyone pulls up for the holidays, say, if you and I are working, and all of a sudden someone handed you a 12-page report, a summary of the of the Afghanistan withdrawal that you've been waiting for, and you have 10 minutes to digest mm-hmm. it and ask questions. When someone gives it to you like that at the date they do it, at the time they give it, what does that tell you about the report? Well, that's what I'm going to be wondering. Like, why am I getting this now, basically going into a holiday weekend? We've been waiting for this thing with, you know, barely time to actually read it before I'm going to start asking questions about it. I mean, I think everybody felt the way that thing was rolled out yesterday and then Kirby's comments and defending it. I mean, even people who are big defenders of this administration felt like it did not land well yesterday. I mean, it's, it, to me, uh, there's so many things to do. They blame Trump. Well, the NSC spokesman says, for all of this talk of chaos, they just don't see it. President Biden's choices for how to execute a withdrawal from Afghanistan were severely constrained by conditions created by his predecessor. And they point to the Doha agreement, which I didn't love, but it was all conditions based. Mm-hmm. And he's pretending this is what's killing me. He's pretending as if he does not want to change his predecessor's policies when all he's done is from the Paris agreement he's back into the Iran deal he tried to reinvigorate to the blowing up the remain in Mexico and the border policies to getting rid of the XL pipeline to all the things that they're doing to uh, for uh, uh, energy exploration. Here's John Kirby. Cut five. Do not underestimate the effect that that Doha agreement had on the morale and the, uh, uh, the willingness to fight on the Afghan National Security and Defense Forces. It, it, had, it had a very corrosive effect on their willingness to continue to fight for their country. So the Doha agreement and the fact is we're pulling out all of our troops at once, leaving everywhere. Every city was falling. We pull everybody out. We wonder what, what could possibly go wrong. Yeah, and and just because the visuals were so striking with this story, this moment in history, like nobody thinks there wasn't some chaos or that, well, not everything's executed perfectly. That is definitely true. But people falling to their deaths off of airplanes and 13 service members being killed in a suicide bombing, not to mention those who survived with horrific injuries. I just, you know, there was a lot of back and forth. It was very good with Peter Ducey and with others who who just could not kind of digest what they were being told from that podium yesterday. It just didn't line up with reality. Cut seven. The way that this president ordered it done, there were children being killed. There were people hanging off of Air Force jets that were leaving. And you're saying that you guys are proud of the way that this mission was conducted? Doesn't mean... Of that? Proud of the fact that we got more than 124,000 people safely out of Afghanistan? You bet. Proud of the fact that American troops were able to seize control of a defunct airport and get it operational in 48 hours? You bet. Proud of the fact that we now have about 100,000 Afghans, our former allies and partners, living in this country and working towards citizenship? You bet. Does that mean that everything went perfect in that evacuation? Of course not. 
I mean, what are you thinking, Chad? I mean, I know you're a very measured person, but when people blatantly, we love the execution. You asked the 82nd to go in there and help. They did great. But that's not the question. What were you thinking, pulling everybody out, abandoning Bagram, saying that you didn't get any, no one advised you that the Afghan army was going to fall apart when the CIA did? You never gave the NATO. I did not. I, I forgot this. But do you know that NATO was not informed that we were leaving? And they had 7,000 troops. And do you know, do you remember that Parliament censured the U.S. for the way we left and didn't communicate? And the people we left behind? Yeah, remember that. Remember that. Our allies felt shell-shocked and abandoned. I'm talking with a guy today who has been working to get people out of the country. It's, you know, we're we're going to be at two years soon. And this is a man who is one of those, you know, former veterans who is stepping up in his own capacity to do everything he can to get people out of there. And he shared something with me today that shocked me about what is still going on there. He was furious about this Kirby report, and he called him a liar. I mean, this is somebody who's been in country and trying to get people out for two years in the wake of the way this withdrawal was done. Um, those are his words. I mean, that's somebody who's there still on the front lines. So I want you to hear what General Jack Keane said yesterday. Cut 10. What people forget is we had 7,000 NATO troops there, not counting the 2,500 plus that the U.S. had. Every NATO nation wanted to stay, but they would only stay if the United States was staying because we had air support and we provided logistics support. But President Biden from people who were in the room, was the smartest man in the room on this. He knew better, and he made that decision. And I believe me, I think he owns all the consequences as a result. Yeah, and I don't believe it. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, you're going to be covering this on Fox News Sunday. I do want to bring up the Clarence Thomas situation, since yeah. you got the rich legal background, and you are the person to go to. So Justice Thomas evidently has taken some vacations with a billionaire and he wasn't supposed to or declaring on his taxes. Could you expand on this? Yeah, it's actually declaring on your financial disclosures as a justice about um, different gifts or things that you have as income. And I just got a statement from Justice Thomas, by the way, as we are speaking, because I've really, you know, we've all been pressing and trying to reach for some answers. And a lot of ethics folks out there say, listen, there's not a code of ethics over the justices like there is over other federal judges. And so there's a lot of gray area. Part of the disclosure forms, though, do say that if you have hospitality, um, gifts to you. And that's, you know, food and lodging with people who are considered friends. These are not corporations. Um, And let me just read you what Justice Thomas just sent out. He says, Harlan and Kathy Crow, so those are the donors, the expensive, the wealthy friends with the uh, uh, vacations, uh, are among our dearest friends. We've been friends for over 25 years. As friends do, we've joined them on a number of family trips during more than a quarter century. We've known them. Early in my tenure at the court, I sought guidance from my colleagues and others in the judiciary and was advised that this sort of personal hospitality from close personal friends who do not have any business before the court was not reportable. I've endeavored to follow that counsel throughout my tenure and have always sought to comply with the disclosure guidelines. Those guidelines now are being changed as the Committee of the Judicial Conference responsible for financial disclosures um, has announced new guidance. It is, of course, my intent to follow this guidance in the future. So that's where we are this morning from Justice Thomas. I know that the Crows and the Thomases have been friends for a long, long time, and they do travel together. So um, it just happens that this is a friend who has very good vacations. And so you know, over on the Hill, they say it's time to tighten up the ethics code, and they're calling for it. We'll see if there is any bipartisan will to do it.
I don't have to do anything, right? I could still have no ethics. Is it, am I still okay? Well, I mean, you just go on cheap vacations and you're fine. <laughs> when you start going on the expensive ones, you're in trouble. I would never go on a Bream credit card. I think that would be illegal. You can't have the Washington Bureau mixing uh, funds with the New York, <laughs> with the New York Bureau. Well, listen, to be clear, we're not going to use the company card. Oh, we're not? But, okay. you know, the Breams might buy you a hot dog or, right. you know. On your own, on your own account. Out of my own pocket. They want, they want Thomas. They want Justice Thomas out, obviously. Clarence they Thomas. do. And don't listen, you think he's going to retire? If, if the Republican no. wins, don't you see him retiring? I think he is one of those battle-tested warriors who was a lot like Justice Ginsburg, like, no one's going to make me retire. When I'm good and ready, I'm going to go. I think he genuinely loves his work on the court. I think he sees it as a mission, as a personal calling. And so right. um, every time I hear little rumors about him retiring, I'm like, nah, I don't think so. But so, one day, we'll see. Shannon, just real, who's on your show? Senator Ben Cardin, Democrat, and Republican Lindsey Graham are going to talk about Afghanistan, Taiwan, China. Uh, there's a debt ceiling no one's negotiating over. we got to get the budget done. Mm-hmm. And is AI coming not only to steal our jobs but also to kill, kill all of us? Right. We're find out. Yeah, I do not want to be killed by something I can't see. Uh, so exactly. So, Shannon, and just put me you – can, you can use that on your show. Thank you. Brian, can I will, we, you can but just, I'll give you credit. a full screen. Uh, mm-hmm. Shannon – we know that people are going to be celebrating Easter, and we know all religions have different ways to celebrate. Mm-hmm. But I thought I'd share this with you. Okay. Uh, Sebastian Maniscalco talking the difference between the way the, how much the Jews could benefit from the Italians. Oh. Italians and Jews, very similar. You know, people say same corporation, different division. We get along. There's an obvious you know, thing with the religion. I went to my first Passover dinner. That's what she's like, well, my mother's going to have pass. Okay, we'll go to the dinner. 7.30, we sit down at her mother's house. I'm starving. Right? They start passing out pamphlets, like reading material. I'm like, what's going on? What are we doing here? What's with the... She's like, no, we read for two hours. Two hours. I said, listen, I'm Italian. As soon as I sit at the table, I got to have bread within 15 seconds of sitting down. Alright? The food they start bringing out, oh God, terrible. Terrible. Jews have no idea what the hell they're doing in the kitchen. These people have no cuisine, celery, crackers, jam. I'm like, what is it? We're losing people. People are leaving. We need food. After breakfast, they fall apart, the juice. After a bagel, cream cheese, lox, where are they going? They got nothing. Has anybody ever said to you, we went to this Jewish restaurant last night? The gefilte? Amazing. I respect the Jews, but let's just have the Italians cater to Passover meal. So uh, how do you feel? Does that does that work? <laughs> do you think listen, you can go ahead? Listen, what I I love is that Passover and Easter overlap with each other this year, and I think, gosh, there's so um, much that we can appreciate and learn from each other. Um, listen, I think Passover and the celebration, the food's very special. It's meaningful. It has symbolism. So it may not be Sebastian's taste palate, um, <laughs> ah. but maybe he could work in something. He can bring a side, right? If it if it if it meets with the conditions, <laughs> maybe he can work that ah. in. But he's a very funny guy, right? Um, I'm not really sure why we play that for you. But I just thought we'd change the, the tone. Actually, it was Allison's idea. Hi, Allison. Right. She's not here. But she, she meant, oh. wanted to make sure that we rolled it for you. Do you feel it did okay. it help your day at all? Uh, you know what? I was having, I'm not going to lie, very rough morning, which I told Peter on my way in. But oh, I feel so much better now. Yeah. Right, I right. a guy who tried to run me off the road this morning, and it's like, don't go there. I don't need that. It's good Friday. Let's, let's try to get it together, people. You got it. Especially because we know what happens Sunday. Yep, Sunday is coming, and that is all the hope that we need. All right. Uh, Shannon Bream, thanks so much. 
I will see you tomorrow on your show on Saturday night. Yeah, Saturday Bye. night, 8 o'clock, and then stay up right till Fox News Sunday. Check your Just local listings. All the way through. Okay, All right. bye. Thank you. Go get her book, Love Stories of the Bible Speak. Uh, and by the way, she does the book on tape. When we come back, your call is one 408 This is the first time I've taken calls today, so don't miss an opportunity. Then Eli Lake uh, new, from the New York Sun. Don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back. Nicholas on WABC in New Jersey. Hey, Nicholas. Hi, Brian. Uh, Quick comment. I think Republicans shoot themselves in the foot all the time. How can you kick out the two black guys and not the white woman? I mean, it's just a terrible look. Just like they shot themselves in the foot at the midterm, Roe v. Wade is already a exception, you know, a compromise. And Republicans should be looking to ban late-term abortion, not all abortions, unless they're just looking to be a permanent minority in this country. I mean, they should have swamped the midterms. Instead, they by a couple of uh, hey, Nicholas, Nicholas, I, I understand what you're saying, but this worked its way through the courts, and it was there was no nuance to it. They could have won state by state and tried to get late-term abortion. That's where it was heading, especially as I understand how these uh, the ultrasounds got more and more sophisticated, and you could see the kids basically you see the kid in the womb basically playing with his toys. So people got that that's really hard to say it's not a baby. So they were getting there. But you can't control the degree in which a court case goes your direction. They don't know how to message it. You're right about that. I think there's no question about that. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Don't move. we got a great guest, Eli Lake, just around the bend. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade. that makes you think this is the brian kilmeade show there ought to be a law there ought to be an ethics concept that no district attorney can ever run for office targeting a particular individual and promising to find the crime against that individual if a da wants to do that he can move to the former soviet union he can move to iran but in the united states of america Prosecutors should not be allowed to target individuals and then rummage through the statute books. That is liberal attorney Alan Dershowitz, obviously. He wrote the book Get Trump. He keeps saying, I guess I believe him, he hasn't voted for Trump yet. Uh, But he does like Trump's stance on Israel, loved the Abraham Accords, didn't think it was possible. Having said that, as an attorney, he's horrified. And, and, you know, I got to get educated. I did not know an attorney general and a district attorney could run targeting somebody who didn't commit a crime. I'm going to go get Trump, and they're caught on tape, and they're looking at the camera, and they're doing interviews and saying this. And sure enough, they did it at a cost of about a hundred. What is it, two hundred million dollars to bring the president in here for a ridiculous hearing that almost nobody thinks got any legs. Hopefully, will be dismissed. Doesn't get to a jury if it does get to that. Eli Lake also a little outraged by it. He's a contributing editor at Commentary Magazine, columnist for the New York Sun, host of the Reeducation Podcast, which is excellent. Eli, welcome back. Your thoughts about Thank the you. antics earlier this week? Uh, it's an outrage. Um, 
I don't under I, I, I have to say it's part of a pattern. Uh, Alan Gerson is correct. When you go back to uh, the shenanigans of Jim Comey in 2017 in particular, after Trump uh, wins the election, uh, you see a number of things where, you know, all kinds of small and big rules are uh, broken, corners are cut in order to either keep an investigation open, to have partial information out to the public that would have a kind of political effect so that the process becomes the penalty. I think that that is what Alvin Bragg is doing here. I don't think there's really any chance that this case will succeed, but he's interested in having this sort of circus. Uh, one, because I think he campaigned in part on it. I think he, he, he would never say directly that he, you know, he, he, he would definitely indict him. He would say he would look at it, but he would also talk about all of his, his experience litigating against Donald Trump and the Trump organization and everything like that. Um, and then you know, the idea that you have a legal elite that is applauding this, uh, not everyone, but a lot of people like who were involved in prior kind of Trump prosecutions and investigations that didn't go anywhere, like people like Andrew Weissman. Um, He's the worst. It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. This is a perversion of the rule of law. And just for Eli Lake is our guest, but Eli, she, she should tell yeah. everyone, he was, the, he was the motor, the engine of the Mueller report. Mueller was a figurehead. Obviously, he's got issues. But it was Andrew Weissman who was cut threatening, throwing Manafort into solitary confinement, uh, conducting raids on people's houses, trying to get somebody to flip on Trump. It was outrageous. He, I mean, one of the things that he did that I thought was terrible was – he came up with a new interpretation of the enforcement of the Foreign Agents Registration Act, which is a law that had only resulted in fines and sort of like paperwork violations. You had to change your registration if you were caught by the fair office of the Justice Department. And he turned this into a major threat for, you know, years and years of jail time and felony prosecutions in order to roll up people for ultimately what we can say is a conspiracy that never happened. Now, you know, the fact this guy is still going on MSNBC and doesn't have any kind of sense of shame, um, you know, this is the same person before all of this who put Arthur Anderson, the, consult- the accounting company, out of business and then was rebuked l- literally 9-0 at the Supreme Court for that case. I mean, that's very rare that you have a unanimous decision against the U.S. attorney. Um, he's, a, he's a bad guy, and it's not just him. It's a series of these people – who are in and out of the FBI and the Justice Department, who have created a kind of standard that is undermining the rule of law, but also the faith that in the rule of law, the faith in the justice system. And these are the people, this is the party that talks to us about how they're defending democracy. I just don't buy it. It's I don't. And, and the thing is, Eli, it's we really, and this is one of my themes, I had the show One Nation on Saturday, is the Trump circuit is going to happen for at least three years. And it's going to be the Georgia. I'm sure the grand jury is going to indict. And then they're going to do Mar-a-Lago. I'm sure they'll indict. And there'll be hearings and appearances and fingerprints and mug shots and just uh, rooms of dismisses. And it's going to be years. And what? look at what happened this week. All news stopped. Everybody had to get all over this. Meanwhile, inflation didn't stop. Our border's still broken. China's still on the march. We still have a huge issue uh, in this country when it comes to school safety. All the issues went on the shelf. And we have a bunch of candidates that want to be the next president. We have to find a way to get past this. But is this ever going to stop? Do you believe the Democrats have a Trump issue 
or do they have an issue with any Republican that emerges? I, I at this point, I don't know. But what I would say is this: even if, if you if, if you are of the view, and I suppose I I generally like the uh, norm that we currently have, which is that we don't have the opposition party prosecuted by the party in power, and we don't go after presidents after they leave office through lawfare. It's, by the way, something that was one of the factors that brought down the Roman Republic. It's something that uh, bedevils the politics of Brazil, Ukraine, Georgia. You can go through the list. It's not a good thing when that happens. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Pakistan's another one, right. So, you know, I generally like that. But if you, if, you know, I'm open, if you find that Trump really did something egregious that I can understand, then, you know, sometimes you have to look at it case by case if you have an extraordinary um, case. The problem with this is that this is not just doesn't rise to that level. It looks like Bragg was just kind of inventing a yes. crime. And he and that's the problem is that that if, if you were a Democrat who thought that it was OK to indict Trump for more serious matters, you should be furious at Alvin Bragg right now because he's muddied the waters. So the, now, you know, anybody I think who looks at this objectively. And by the way, it's not just people on the right and the center right. Right. I mean, you know, David Frum, who 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 loathes uh, Donald Trump, you know, wrote a column saying that this is really thin. Jonathan Chase. There are a lot of liberals who have looked at this and Van Jones. scratched their head. Van Jones, exactly. Like there are a lot of people who look at this and say this is outrageous. And this is the same party, by the way, that is, has like at least among their progressive wing, they have all these prosecutors that are trying to turn felonies into misdemeanors, or, or you know, you know, not. They're trying yeah. to, to stop prosecuting other kinds of crimes, and then they go out of their way to, like, inflate this crime because of, 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 of the person who they're going after, which is Donald Trump. And that's, to me, it's so dangerous. It's so short-sighted. It feels like um, a kind of, like, it's, it's a bubble thing for these progressive elites that they, 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 that they think they can get away with this, and there won't be repercussions. Because I got to tell you, I wouldn't be surprised if there were Republican district attorneys in red states now who are going to go after Hunter Biden or whoever. Um, you know, once you once you kind of cross this Rubicon, uh, you know, the other side can do it, too. I, I know. And it just, you know, they're going to bring in the, the author of this book that wrote a book on how, why you should indict Trump. And then we're going to get more and more of that. And then I don't talk about Nikki Haley's policy on the border. I don't talk about a comprehensive effort to thwart China. And you know it. Right. Eli Lake, oh, I first came across your great work in the war on terror, Afghanistan, and Iraq. Uh, I, I think you do you agree with me that with the biggest military disaster in modern Amer- American history, the exit from Iraq, excuse me, Afghanistan. It's one of them. Yeah, I think it, I think you, I think you're right. I think it was it was it was horrendous because the Taliban now runs that country and it's as brutal as it was 20 years ago when they were defeated. You know, in the battlefield by our guys after and, 9/11. And this this was the story, August 2021. After we watch uh, thousands left behind, Americans and allies, we see. The 13 dead, the 22 wounded, the 170 Afghans after the suicide bomber hit Abbey Gate. And this was the president, August 2021, cut one. There had not been a U.S. service member killed in combat in Afghanistan since February of 2020. You set a deadline, you pulled troops out, you sent troops back in, and now 12 Marines are dead. You said the buck stops with you. Do you bear any responsibility for the way that things have unfolded in the last two weeks. I bear responsibility for fundamentally all that's happened of late. Right. But not John Kirby yesterday. Cut four. When President Trump took office, 
Uh, there was more than 10,000 uh, American troops in Afghanistan. He took it down to 2,500. Um, he uh, negotiated the release of 5,000 Taliban prisoners uh, that were being held by the Ghani government uh, uh, without consultation with the Ghani government. He negotiated the Doha agreement with the Taliban without the Ghani, Ghani government uh, in the room. Uh, so it was a, a general So sentence. he went out to say, Eli, that there, there was no plan in place, just an exit date. He had no choice. Do you buy any of that? Were you as offended as I was from that whole press conference? I think it's it's possible to say that Trump's uh, negotiation of the Doha Agreement was very bad policy and not good for the world or America. I agree also, with that. Okay, but also to sort of acknowledge that by the time Biden comes into office, the Taliban were not keeping up their side of the agreement. So there was no obligation for the United States to keep to their deadline. There was no reason for that at all. And then add to that that we had built up an Afghan military that was dependent on American air support yep. and American logistics support. So if we pull out, we basically cripple an army no matter what their numbers are. And we kept getting happy talk, if you remember, starting – uh, I guess in, in like April or May of 2021 that, you know, Biden didn't think that the Afghan government would fall and the military is better you know, equipped and everything like that. When everybody knew that if the United States left, it wouldn't just be a morale blow. It would be a logistical blow and that they wouldn't be able to function. And so it was that. And so he, he had an obligation, I think, to reassess the Doha agreement. It happens all the time. There are plenty of agreements that were made by the Trump administration that the Biden administration just ignored once they came into power. So why they felt they had to continue to adhere to this one when the Taliban themselves were violating it is is a mystery. I mean, but well, you're being nice. They, they knew that yeah. they knew they were giving us a fictional document when 15 minutes before the final press or before a big Easter break, they give the press corps 10 minutes to look at it and then answer questions. And then they go leave to Camp David. So they know this document is a chance to spin reality as if we didn't yeah. see those jets with people hanging off the end. And we don't know the people that died and the private groups like uh, the ones that we had here run by Scott Mann that existed Operation Pineapple because our military left our guys alone. We had to get our allies and our and the Americans out on our own. That was unbelievable. I mean, that to me is uh, is the real problem, which is that there was a, pr- a promise when this started that the United States would stay there for to like bring all of our allies out, and then we didn't end up doing it, and then we couldn't get straight answers from the White House. I mean, it was a, it was it was a really low blow, and it was one. And I think that the humiliation in Afghanistan is probably one of the reasons that Vladimir Putin, uh, you know, assessed that he could get away with invading Ukraine. Yeah, I, there's no question. And they go out of their way to link this document to Ukraine. Look how unified our allies are in Ukraine because we were able to get out of Afghanistan. Oh, really? We were able to get out of Afghanistan. Let me see. What did we forget? 23,825 Humvees. Okay, we could have used them. 900 combat vehicles. That might have been interesting. 250,000 automatic rifles. 95 drones. More than a million mortar rounds. $18.6 billion we left behind. And it's Trump's fault? To me, this is nuts. Yeah, I agree. It's just it's flame shifting and it's and more people should pay attention. to. I think that one of the reasons it's not gotten as much of attention now that you sort of mentioned it, is that 
we, after the initial invasion, which, by the way, we should never forget, the Biden administration failed to deter Vladimir Putin, full stop. Okay, so to, to keep saying what a, what a successful policy, well, you failed to deter this guy. Okay, so that was a failure. But after the failure, there has been some success because the Ukrainians have fought far harder than anyone thought. And that's been, you know, I mean, I will credit Biden with this, that he has managed to keep the NATO alliance together through another winter, and he's managed to supply, you know, the Ukrainian army in such a way that they have been a real formidable foe, and this was not, you know, the clean sweep that, that Putin wanted. So that, you know, so give credit for that, but again, fail to deter Putin and completely just, you know, like down the drain 20 years of the military's efforts in Afghanistan, where there was a lot to save. The other thing is that, you know, all of Afghanistan was not a mess. I mean, Kabul was this functioning city that was on the rise again, and it's now back into darkness because of of this terrible, you know, the, the, the nature of that withdrawal. So, yeah, I mean, it's a shame. It's a, it's a disgrace. Yeah, Eli, thanks so much. Always great catching up to you. Continue to do your great work. Uh, writing for the oh, New York Sun. You, check out, yeah. It's always great there. Yeah. Uh, also, check out his podcast. It's excellent. Uh, he's host of oh, Re-Edu- the Reeducation Podcast. Eli, thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thank hey, you so much. You got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I'll come back to wrap things up. Squeezing some calls, and then don't forget, I'll tell you exactly what's going to be on One Nation. It's uh, a lot going on. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, coming up on One Nation, we've got Admiral McRaven's going to be here. Colonel Douglas will break down this new Afghan report. Uh, we also have, I think, a, a great interview coming your way that you'll enjoy with Cardinal Dolan. Got it caught up to him Easter week. You'll see it Saturday night. Had a chance to do an unscripted walk on a, on a kind of a chilly uh, Monday. Uh, in New York City. So I think you're going to love that. So tune in 8 o'clock on Saturday night. Uh, and you'll, you'll, hopefully you'll like it. And then we we'll repeat it at 11 o'clock, all Eastern Time, One Nation. Benjamin, you're listening on KJNC in Texas. Hey, Benjamin. Yes, sir. How are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? I, I had a comment on you know, how they've been talking about being a banana republic. But the Republicans need to go out and buy 1,000 pounds of bananas and start taking them to the Democrats. Every time you say Democrat, give him a banana. And then uh, that district attorney give him 10 pounds and give Joe Biden 100 pounds worth of bananas. So let me ask him, who's your pick on the Republican side for president? Uh, Trump. No doubt about it. Okay. No doubt about it, especially with what's going on. Tony, listening, Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Tony. Hey, Brian. At a subcommittee chairperson, Pat Fallon, when he was doing the energy, yep. this was done yep. in February. It was a big to-do with Cori Bush and white supremacy, and that was allowed to continue. I'm just comparing it to what happened with the congressman. I think we need law and order, and I really want to give a demerit to Pat Fallon, who should take a lesson from Tennessee and not put up with any shenanigans. Are you talking about when they they all left uh, before? this hearing was on petroleum, and Corey Bush made a comment that the speaker on petroleum uh, was a white supremacist because of some kind of oh. comment he made just in general in his past writings. And so Pat Fallon, instead of bringing order to it, allowed it to continue. It's unbelievable. And, and Tony, I'll, I'll stop you there because I understand Pat Fallon's a good guy. 
Uh, Cori Bush is a terrible lawmaker, uh, seems to be a terrible person. She's the only one who continues to say, that, even though they, a lot of them think it, to fund the police. She was an activist in the middle of Ferguson. She was able to use some of that momentum and notoriety to become a congresswoman over in St. Louis, one of our great stations and affiliates. And everything I've seen of her, she's an embarrassment. And I just think with all these people accusing everybody of being a racist, it has dulled that word to the point where no one's scared about it anymore because people know they're not. People might some talk, might speak in, in, uh, ineloquently, want something back. Okay, I understand it. But the whole I'm a racist, people are walking through that now, thankfully. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.